Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey here with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that Christy's quite familiar with. It's what smart people do. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> well, seriously, today we're going to talk about some common strands of what stereotypically smart people do. So, good doctor, where do we begin? Well, I think we need to begin by defining what is smart. You know, by definition, smart is just quick, witty intelligence. Oh, I have that. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, you do. So I think with that definition, I think we need to go a little step further and look at what is intelligence. Okay. Um, so intelligence is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge. So really being smart is not about how much you currently have, but your ability to acquire more and how well can you apply that intelligence. So do you think that some people have just more smarts than others, or at least the ability to acquire it and apply it? Oh, I certainly think so. And I think acquiring smarts is easier for some people than others. You know, just like anything else, you know, some people are just better at some things. For book smart, you know, where some people only have to say read half of something to master it and others read it 20 times, right? And for smarts in say photography, you know, those people, they can see something that the other general population just can't see, mm -hmm. right? They can take an amazing photo of something that we've passed by for years. Um, so yeah, I think acquiring is easier in the areas of our God-given gifts. So regardless of the dis whatever discipline we're talking about, I think that if, you're, if it's your gift, I think it's easier for you to acquire and apply that knowledge. Well, that would make sense because you are actually you're passionate about it. Sure. I guess the same would be true like a musician, right? They have the gift. And some people just pick up a guitar and know how to play it, and others spend years, such as me, <laughs> trying to not even be good at it. I mean, I, you right. know, trying to put two strings together. Right. Um, yeah, you know, I think at one point we want to make today in the show is just that, that there are all different kinds of smart. Um, again, your example of a musician and their ability to acquire and apply their guitar skills to sitting down and writing an amazing song. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, and I admire people who can do that. It's amazing. You know, those that can, that have a very high intelligence in that skill. Um, some of those musicians throughout time were even illiterate, right? right? But our culture puts a priority on a person's smartness, if you will. I'm not sure that's a word. Uh, but I'm a doctor, I can say it. So to how book smart they are or how high, high their IQ is. Now, this is true. You know, and I would argue that Carol King is right up there with Albert Einstein on smarts, just a different type of smarts. You know, I don't know what her IQ is, but her ability to put words together is like no one else. And I personally think she's brilliant. Well, I did call Carol and uh, asked her about it and uh, couldn't get a hold of her. Uh, she's dodging my calls. No, I... <laughs> well, I wish you'd got me free Broadway tickets. <laughs> That's right. Because I paid a fortune for my Broadway tickets in October. <laughs> so what are we referring to when we say IQ? Because I don't think that a lot of people mesh the two together. So give us some background on that. Well, I think IQ by definition is your intelligent quotient. You know, it's a total score derived from several different standardized tests. And it's to measure they say, the human intelligence. Okay. And you said intelligent was the ability to acquire and apply knowledge. But IQ is really only how book smart you are, right? Well, yes, or at least how well you do in applying that book knowledge to standardized tests. Mm. You know, again, some really good book smart people, if you will, you know, they, they don't register very high on an IQ because they're not good test takers. 
So IQ is really only a person's ability to test high in the areas of math, reasoning, and problem solving. You know, so those good at problem solving will score very high on those tests because they're created by and for those with that skill set. Right. Uh, kind of my soapbox a little bit, right? Interestingly, those who we classify as the smartest people, they perform well on these skills, you know, and they're the ones that are making the rules for how success is measured, at least culturally. Um, the problem with that is that we, again, culturally believe that people with a high IQ are the smartest and those with a lower IQ are not as smart. And then that feeds into those that, you know, perceive themselves as not as smart or less than or not enough. And, you know, we teach this from the first day in kindergarten, that right. if you do really well on a test, then that means you're smart. And if you don't, it means you're not quite so smart. And we categorize smart as being better, right? An A student is better than a B student, is better than a C student, is better than a dropout. Right. That's not necessarily true because their smartness may be in other skill sets. We just don't culturally prioritize that as important. Or cultivate it, really. I oh, mean, certainly, yeah. Because, again, people with high IQs are the ones that are making the rules, and they're good at these skill areas of problem solving and math and those type of things. So They prioritize that. Exactly. Maybe. You know, so if somebody's really good at, let's say, painting, mm -hmm. they don't really prioritize. I guess that's why we have specialized colleges for stuff like that, like Juilliard or something to that effect. That's exactly right? true. I think that's exactly true, but it gives them a place. But just like every person with a high IQ is not necessarily going to be extraordinarily successful, every person that is a great musician, every person that is a great artist, every person that is a great dancer is not going to end up on Broadway. That's true, yeah. Right? There's right. only a limited number of those spots available. So just because you're really smart as we're defining it, right? The ability to acquire and, and apply a knowledge or a skill set that is not in book smart and you don't have a star on the, you know, outside of the Chinese theater in LA, <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're not amazing. You know, Tim Spradlin, right? We had a, did a show with him. Right. I can tell you, I've seen many, many shows of him. He's a good friend. He's amazing. He's extraordinarily talented. Well, he just he, did a, a directing for nuts and that was an amazing it was it was an amazing yeah, show yeah it was, it an, was amazing an amazing show. show and so again not all smart people are necessarily going to be are looked at as your most successful either and i can see that because i've met a lot of smart people that i believe were highly or had high iqs but had just pretty normal everyday jobs and i mean wasn't you know uh conducting a college or anything right. like that so right i mean i tell you i i think some of the smartest people in our country are those people those adults or especially older adults that had a successful life as we would define it they have you know money in the bank they have a house they have a family um, they've ha carried a job and they can't read how someone goes through life in, especially in this country and is successful as we define success of you know, mastering those right. things um, that can't read. I think so. They're some of the most brilliant people that walk the planet. Well, yeah, because, because they had to figure out a whole different way of making it. Oh, most the, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know how you. I don't know how you get through through a life day. and you can't read. I mean, yeah, no, I, that doesn't even make any sense to me. But yeah. that they had to be creative. So creativity has to have some basis in the IQ. But again, we're only talking about the people that put it together right and I so. think Albert Einstein said and I don't have this in front of me but something along the line of it's it's amazing how creativity can make it through our education system that's true because we stomp that. it out 
We do. We do, uh, we do stomp, stomp it, out. it out, and we only say two plus two is four. Four plus four is eight. You know, so we... right, exactly. And there are endless ways to get four. One plus one plus one plus one. Yeah. <laughs> one times four. You know, I mean, you can either endless combinations to get to four, but we look at it as no, two plus two is four. That's the answer. Move on to the next question. Right, and that doesn't help anybody because that does stifle creativity. It works Absolutely. well for people like me. Right? I'm good. Two plus two is four. Move on to the next thing. That's right. how my mind works. That's why I've done really well in academics. But it doesn't, that does not work. I would even say that does not work for the majority of the population. I think it's 26% of people are guardians on the, on, on not necessarily intelligence, but on personality, that, that, mm-hmm. same, that same type. And I think that that does, it just doesn't, it's not working for us. We're, we're stifling children. You know, I have a huge soapbox regarding on how we judge students, you know? And again, most of my career has been in this discipline, right? Um, And my point being that we create the tests to judge who's smart and who isn't as smart based on their IQ. Right. You know, we make the tests based on what we're good at. You know, I was an administrator. I was, you know, up there in academics. I made the rules. And I get this. And so much of our education system is generated towards just this type of smart. And unless you're in a progressive area or, as you said, some charter school or some specialty school, um, you're not, you know, if you're not good at math or problem solving um, and your smart is in, say, the gift of music or the arts, then you're not going to be classified as a smart. And and that is simply not true. Yeah. It's just That's, simply not true. That is simply not true because if you, I I've, I've met a guy that I swear to you he I mean he quits high school, and but man could he play guitar? I mean you just he yeah. pick it up and just start strumming it, but I think that was part of it that he was always told he wasn't smart, so he never really did anything with it. Right. I've met people that were amazing artists that could never go anywhere because well they just weren't smart enough to. Well, that, <laughs> You well, we know people it. that are photographers, right? Oh, that yeah. take amazing pictures that when you compliment them, uh, they're like, oh, no, no. That's just, you know, everybody, can, anybody can take that picture. Right. And yeah, I like... don't even see that in my with my eye, let alone take it no. in a picture. That is a gift. That is a gift. And it does come with practice. But this True. is this is what I, I, I guess what I don't understand is because I've always thought smart people... Are more successful, right? I mean, I don't know why I always thought that, but but you were, we're saying they're not always. Well, I would say that's most definitely true. Okay. But in areas that that individual is smart, like math in, or English or or so, art or music, okay, or dance or whatever. You know, again, I think Carol King is pretty successful, uh, right? Yeah. But in our culture, we prioritize academic smart as more important. We do. And you, know, I, yeah. you know, Jonathan Way was a research scientist from Duke University and found that 49% of billionaires in the U.S. rank among the smartest top 1% of the people in the United States. Other groups that, you know, fit into that 1% as well were United States senators, 83% of them, federal judges, 40%, and Fortune 500 CEOs, 39% of them ranked in the top 1% of the smartest Top 1% in the U.S. I mean, that's some pretty big percentages. So mm-hmm. a high IQ leads to making more money. Well, maybe. I think it is statistically true that one with good math and critical reading skills have a high probability of being successful in life, especially if we define success as making money. True. You know, but almost all in that example 
attended one of the top 29 elite colleges in the U.S. That again, their entrance scores are based on their ACT or SAT scores, which are similar to the IQ test and are very, very high in math and critical reading skills. People like Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, didn't have a college degree, but they're two of the most wealthiest people in America. You know, that's true. They don't have degrees, but they were both accepted and attended Harvard, which is one of the 29 colleges, so they had to have an ACT or SAT score to get into that school, even though they dropped out. But there's really smart people out there that can't even find their own cars in a parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) You know how true is that? You know, so I think there's more to being smart and successful than just a high IQ. Right. And I think that's what the point we're trying to make today. You know, I reposted on Facebook the other day that some days I feel really smart. And, you know, on other days I'm trying to get out of the car with my seatbelt on. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean. Well, it's true. I mean, I can remember my dad always telling me that like things like those shows like Jerry Springer or something like that. <laughs> Jerry Springer. Yeah, he said that. Uh, that that wasn't educational TV. He goes, well, I don't, I don't see how that's not educational TV because I always feel smarter than these people after <laughs> watch. <them. laughs> okay, that's funny. Uh, but, I mean, okay. it is true. So, so on bad know, days, we all need to go watch Jerry. That's Springer. right. See, you know, see how everybody else's life is worse than ours. <laughs> but so, master musicians, they can't read. Uh, would we consider them successful and smart at music, though? Oh, I sure would. Uh, And I think Howard Gardner agreed and coined the concept of multiple intelligences. You know, he argued that there were eight main intelligences that one was not necessarily any more important than the other. So so we're talking about eight. What are the eight? Um, Well, number one is musical or rhythmic, right? It's, uh, in your example, those people that can sing, compose, pick up a guitar and just play it, right? Then number two is visual, those that can imagine and visualize with their mind. Uh, His third was verbal and linguistics. Those that are good with words, our readers, our writers, our storytellers. Four is logic, those numbers people, the critical thinking, problem solving Mm -hmm. skill set. Number five is body or kinesthetics, our athletes, our dancers, uh, those that can master their body and timing, response, and actions. Six is intrapersonal which Goldman concepts of the emotional intelligence, that people that are sensitive to others and ability to read other people. Okay. Seven is intrapersonal, which is a deep understanding of self and what one's strengths and weaknesses really are and what makes us unique as individuals. And the eighth is naturalistic, one's ability to relate to nature. Those are our farmers, our chefs, our biological scientists. And I think that you would find that the top 1% that we were referring to earlier of the billionaires in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, they were likely going to come back as very strong in the logical, interpersonal, and intrapersonal. That's interesting because I got to tell you, this, this is kind of neat because I, looking at eight things that make a, an overall intelligence, really problem solving, math skills is just one of them. Right, exactly. But we put... The emphasis on just that one when there's eight. <laughs> right, exactly. And I think that the point, one point that I'm trying to make that I've kind of tried to make through my academic career is that the reason why, in my opinion, culturally so much emphasis is put on that is because the people who we look at to define smart are good in those areas. So that is what they prioritize as being most important. Well, that makes sense. And I think if you really think about someone like our president and Steve Jobs, you know, when you're talking about the one percenters being good at like the intrapersonal skills, I would think that they would probably fit into that category. Oh, I think they're masters at it. 
just in a negative way. You know, perfection <laughs> is in the practice, right? right? You know, you can be really good at being a liar and manipulative and a big bully. And, you know, it's all about understanding your strengths and understanding other people's weaknesses and how to manipulate them. You know, look at Hitler, right? He used his strengths in verbal, logic, and interpersonal to get millions of people to do terrible things. Oh, true. And this is very true. You do not need to be a good person to be successful at it. I mean, that, that, that's defined throughout history. You know, I think depending upon how you master success, it's easier to be bad and be successful um, because the playbook is smaller. You know, when you don't have to play by the rules, when the final outcome is more important than those things that, um, you know, you can step on people to get to your success, I think the climb is much easier. Mm -hmm. And again, it all depends on how you measure success. How do you classify success? What is successful to you? You know, people that are successful in politics or business, for example, you know, they have to be very smart in knowing their strengths and other people's weaknesses. You know, this is having a skill set and emotional intelligence. Oh, it have to be. And, you know, like I heard from, it's a uh, Netflix documentary, and I believe his, his name's Roger, but I can't remember his last name. But he was the one that kind of got politicians to the top by mm. playing what I would consider dirty pool. And what his what he always said, he goes, well, do you have any regrets? He goes, well, no, because losers never legislate. Losers <laughs> never legislate. That's funny. Unfortunately, but that, it, unfortunately that's true. We right. don't want to vote for the most ethical or the most... Um, well, I guess we vote for them. They just don't get into office. Right. <laughs> but we, you know, that's, that's so true that yeah. it, that's, we want entertainment. That right. Was, well, and that's what he said. You know, he had to be very good at knowing his strengths and other people's weaknesses. I mean, th right. that, and expose them and use them for what they're all worth, you know? And I think that, that that's a huge part of this, you know, and understanding other people really makes a difference in our success. But for those listeners that have never heard of EQ or emotional intelligence, can you give us an example, explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, your emotional intelligence is really the ability to, um, let's see, recognize, understand, and control our emotions and have the ability to recognize, understand, and influence the emotions of other people. Self-awareness and self-management are critical. You know, you can stay aware of your own emotions and manage your behaviors in those inner personal interactions, mm -hmm. and you can pick up on other people's moods, behaviors, and motives to understand really what is really going on with them. And some people are just so instinctively so much better than that. I think we can teach yes. emotional intelligence, but I think some people just have an in, in, instinctive um, feel for this, that they can be empathetic, that they can pick up positively and negatively on other people's emotions. But most importantly, can you merge the two in understanding your emotions, as we say all the time, you know, not get hooked by others, and manage those situations in your relationships. That that really comes down to being having a high EQ. Is can you control your own emotions, and can you understand other people's emotions? Well, I can see that because I mean, if you think about it, being able to do that really can elevate your whole skill level. You know, I think mm -hmm. as we grow older, most of us want to have a higher EQ, if you will, and understand others and treat them better. You know, I think we see how it benefits all of us as a whole. I think that's true, but unfortunately not everybody shares that philosophy. You listed two of those a second ago. <laughs> um, but there are those that are really good at understanding other people, and they use it to manipulate or take advantage of other people, consciously or unconsciously, right? You know, some people will hurt you before you can hurt them. 
And I think that once we accept this as a fact, then we can start seeing these things in other people and move out of the way, right? Instead of being stepped on, then we can be stepped around, you know, and this can be at work, which is an easy example, and our personal life, you know, which is much harder when we add in all those emotional components that come with, with personal relationships. Right, stepped around rather than on. <laughs> yep. So if we define our lives as successful by being a good person and live with integrity and be a good example into the world, do we need to focus on acquiring more skills in the interpersonal and the intrapersonal? Absolutely. You know, the more we can understand our strengths and weaknesses and be able to connect with others and read people better, you know, will only lead to being more successful however it is that you define it. You know, this is an area that having a higher EQ score is far more important than having a high IQ score. You know, it's being good with and to other people. So there's no better example of needing a higher EQ than like Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, he's super smart, but has no idea how to deal with people. Isn't that the truth? You know, another good example is if you watch the show Scorpion. Right? Oh, these, yeah. These guys are brilliant, but they have, they have to have help in dealing with the emotions of other people. But yes, Sheldon is a great example. He is as book smart as they come, but has no clue on how to read other people. You know, you can see there are very few jobs in life that he would ever be successful because of his inability to understand the people he interacts with and the social and the emotional needs of those people. So let me ask you this. Can we learn skills on having a higher EQ? Like going to school and learning from books that, that we do for getting a higher IQ? I think learning the skills to having a higher emotional intelligence EQ are, are more readily available than even an IQ. Really? You know, well, yeah, because, you know, a lot of people can't go to college, right? I mean, you can read and you can, you can acquire those things. But your EQ, we are constantly interacting with others all day, every day. So we have endless opportunities to practice and to learn how to better understand ourselves and others all the time. Every interaction we have every day. You know, we're having new experiences. We're meeting new people all the time. You know, and if intelligence is acquiring and applying what we learn, then we really need to pay attention to what experiences are influencing us. So is that about managing the emotion that you're going to have oh, to I manage so. the emotion that they're having? Sure. I think in the show, um, Get Out of Your Own Way, we ended up talking a lot about that, mm -hmm. of not getting, letting your emotions get ahead of you, not letting your emotions control the situation. If you can control your emotions, if you can take a step back, if you can breathe through it, you are not going to say that one sentence more. So that's right? starting the skill set of developing a higher EQ. Oh, I just think most definitely. That. Yeah, you've got to control yourself first. You've got to understand your own emotions. You've got to understand where you're coming from, what, what your strengths and weaknesses are in that area. You know, I know there are people who hook me. Oh, right? yeah. And I can sit yeah. there and say, okay, I know I'm going to have to have interaction with this person tonight. I know they hook me. I, you know, they do it on purpose or they don't do it on purpose, whatever. Uh, I'm not going to let that happen. And I'm going to stay in that place. And I come home and I'm, I'm all crappy because they've hooked me. You already me. know. It's right. gonna, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, you're just going to have that. But that still is an emotional intelligence. I'm aware of that. Even though I'm not necessarily <laughs> successful in the implementation of it sometimes, mm -hmm. um, at least... I know that that's my weakness. So you can really do workarounds around your weakness. You know, avoid that person or, um, you know, go to therapy and maybe get some professional help on how to better deal with that person if, if you can't manage that situation yourself. Or, or ramp you. up on it. Find other people that 
you know, but I, I don't know the past yeah. or whatever. But and, and understanding other people, right? Understanding that, as you say, people send out their representative, mm-hmm. right? Eighty percent of a person is really unknown. We talk about the tip of the iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. The twenty percent is out of the water, eighty percent is in the water. It's the same thing with people. Until we get to know someone. And that takes a while, and you never really, I don't think, completely know someone. Mm -hmm. Um, You know that's tough. Well, I think you can't, you you can't, you can't take, you can't judge the the messenger for the message, and you Mm -hmm. have to look at that and under try to understand where they're coming from. And that really, especially if it's someone that is difficult, um, you can really have a much better approach if you come to it without bringing the emotion to the table. And so when we say emotional intelligence Mm -hmm. then we're saying managing your 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 emotions but then also learning from other people's emotions on how to deal with them yes that's both of it it's both being self-aware uh in yourself and self-management of yourself and those around you and being able to do those workarounds be able to come with people with compassion and love and not get hooked by you know, kind of their tornado, if you will, as we've said in the past. And all these things that we're acquiring and practicing, is it in alignment with what we want and what we're sending out into the world? I think you need to ask that question. I think that's a great question to ask, especially when, you know, you you don't show up necessarily in the way that you want to. Right. Which we, we do that, right? We have moments. But I think we, you know, need to keep our expectations and assumptions in check. You know, we've said that in shows in the past, too, that our our expectations, our assumptions of situations and people lead us to make really bad decisions and bad reactions and emotionally get hooked on things. But, you know, we need to be the cause in our life and treat people the way that we want to be treated, whether they deserve it or not. You know, but we're setting ourselves up for disappointment if we're expecting other people to do that same thing. You know, it is not uncommon for us to have unrealistic expectations of other people. But we have to remember that those are our expectations and we can't control other people show up or how they treat us. But we can control how we treat other people. Well, and I think that that's real interesting because if we're talking about emotional intelligence and if we can take a step back, take a breath, and I think that this is probably going to be high up on the scale of emotional intelligence, when you can master that people are going to disappoint you, right? I mean, they're just, and not everybody's going to like us. So I think that that would actually get that skill set up. Well, I think emotionally smart people can take that emotion out of the situation and realize that that conflict comes out of just people having different opinions and making different choices. And those differences come out of different values. And then what we do is we, they have different, they make different choices. They have different values. And then now all of a sudden we start to make judgments. Right, and we just we just don't like them, or they just don't like us for really no good reason. That's going to happen. Happens all the time. Yeah, and I think that that's time. interesting because then that's what people think. They take that personally, right? And it just means that you don't match. In our show, getting out of your own way, we talk a lot about getting emotionally charged on how we hurt ourselves and our relationships when we let our emotions get away from us. Yeah, you know, one thing we talked about in the Easier Said Than Done show, as we plug all of our other shows. <laughs> is to focus on the message, not the messenger. You know, one person tells us something we don't like and we get defensive, we get angry, and we look at it as criticism. Someone we love and trust tells us the exact same thing and we're open and receptive. So we have to be more in tune with our emotions, but we can't let them just run away, right? Right, yeah, maybe a bit. You know, anytime that we're in the extreme, you know, we're gonna have problems, right? Any extreme in that. 
You know, we need to know when we're getting hooked and when our emotions are controlling us and be able to separate that when having empathy and understanding for other people and their emotions. What could be one of those things that snap people into that? Because what so many times I think happens is, is people get into that place and then they don't know that they're even in it. Right. Until like three days later and they're still steaming about, you know, somebody putting mayonnaise on a sandwich, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Well, again, you know, when we're talking about different type of intelligences, um, you know, this is just this is just one aspect of that. Okay. But this is a huge, a huge part of where we get stuck, right? And I think that emotionally, people with a high emotional intelligence, and, and I think this is easier for some people than others. Um, I think people that are feelers on the Myers-Briggs, if they can keep out of that extreme, right? If they can keep some kind of balance in the middle, I think they have uh, a much better... Uh, ability to deal with other people's emotions you know you're you've got you know people are prone to being therapists and mm -hmm. um, oh, true, life yeah. coaches and and these things that deal with those type of emotional charges and they're able to not get hooked right they have a client come in that tells them anything and, they, and they're able to stay into control now whether they can because do they don't in, take anything personally though, right now whether right? they can do that in the personal life uh, you know is, an, is a whole other story but yeah but you know those things if, if you can do that, then it doesn't matter whether you're a musician. It doesn't matter whether you are a professional athlete. It doesn't matter if you're a successful business person. Uh, those things, if you can keep your emotions in check, you're, you're going to um, be a better songwriter, I think. You can, yeah, you can, I agree You with can that. write the lyrics and you can put the message out there, but you're not going to get hooked on it. Well, you, you know, an athlete that gets hooked in their emotions, mm -hmm. you're going to miss that last second shot. You know, you're going to choke. You're not going to make that free throw. You've got to find a way to shut that down. And then some people are on the other extreme of that. Some people that are not very emotional. We talked in several shows that, that you know, I, I'm not a highly emotional, reactive person. Mm -hmm. um, that's great for me in the scenarios we're talking about, but it's terrible for me in personal relationships. Sure. Right? So... Again, one is a strength and one is a weakness for the exact same thing. Just uh, depending on the situation. Exactly, uh, depending on the scenario. So depending on the perspective. And see, I think that's interesting because I think is when you look at your boss's boss's boss, let's say the CEO of a company, they're very in control of their emotions. Mm -hmm. they, they, they don't get excited. They don't get overworked. They don't get... Now, they could be having a catastrophe going on inside their head. Right. But they're very steady when it comes to their outward appearances. And I think... Excluding the, our president. Well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. But I think, yeah, most, I think most people that you're going to define as successful, you're going to have exceptions, are going to be people that can control their emotions. Because they're not only controlling their emotions to be better at what they are, but to be able to talk the intrapersonal and the interpersonal right. relationships of dealing with other people. Because if you're CEO of the company, you're not doing it alone. You know? Exactly. Well, and I think that research indicates that smart people or successful people, again, they're going to define that differently than a lot of other people, but they stop and listen. Mm, you know, okay. they have that moment, they pay attention to what and who is in front of them at the time. They evaluate the situation um, and they've mastered it to where this isn't, I don't think, a conscious thing. And they deem what actionable step needs to be done next. So, they, so they're analyzing everything. So they're not yeah. the people that uh, just 
flare up, you know, they, so I think we need to, if we want to start this process, mm -hmm. things that we need to do is slow down. You know, don't get stuck in someone else's tornado and their craziness. Don't let them hook you. Right. You know, it, it, I think that that's what happens is so often we get stuck on those little small words or that right. we lose sight of the whole big picture a lot of times. So yep. start to, I guess, broaden that, if you will. Well, and I think we can do that by cultivating other areas of intelligence. Okay. Like the example of Sheldon that you gave, you know, we need to expand and practice in areas that we're not so good at acquiring or applying the knowledge in that area. One trend I think that we're seeing this is that uh, organically in our population are that people who are not athletic um, are now getting into yoga, hmm. right? So you can be really, you know, be a great critical thinker or problem solver or numbers person and maybe not be athletic, but now you're realizing you need to calm down and stay in a place and you need to control one area that is your body. And so people are going to yoga and, and slowing down, calming down, and then they're getting their body under control. And I think Makes that that's, sense. yeah, that's, I, you know, that's just one area that I think that we see as, as a trend. Yoga is definitely on the rise. A lot of people are doing yoga. Well, and I don't think smart people, I don't think they also dwell on their errors, right? They don't see things that don't work out as a failure. They just keep pushing ahead. This is very true in the show America's Dreams Revisited. They never gave up trying. Even if things didn't work out the first or the tenth time. Yeah, I think smart people also understand that they have to control their own destiny. You know, and not rely on other people for their success. You know, God gave us a brilliant mind and free will, but also hands and feet to make our own life happen, especially here in a Western culture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's perfectly normal to think, oh my goodness, what if I fail? But what is not okay is letting that insecurity keep you from trying and trying and trying again if you need to. Well, I think one thing we need to address is street smarts. You know, where does that fit into being smart? You know, not one of Gardner's eight, but it might be right up there, I think, is one of the most important. You know, street smart is kind of the, that sink or swim right learning, that on-the-job training, those things that we learn about living a life on purpose by perceived failures. And, right. And your refusal to let people dictate how we show up in the world. Uh, learning through the process of success and failures. I would even say probably even more importantly, those failures, you know, of experiences rather than books or classes. You know, we, we learn, you know, again, songwriters, I think they write the best songs after heartbreak, right? Yeah. They write the best long <laughs> love songs when they have a broken heart. So I think that failures can kick you down the stairs, but I think a successful people failures kick them up the stairs yeah i do believe that because that's the only way you really learn what is it i can't remember who said that but if you tell me somebody that has never made it in life i could show you somebody that's never failed or something, something i can't like remember that, something yeah. like that but i think luck has something to do with it i i think luck is a great thing to have on our side but but i know people that i that live their lives from one good luck event to another and then they just exist in the middle somewhere you know, the hope for the best and prepare for the worst. <laughs> you know, I'm a true planner. Right. You know, and so are you. We both are, right? We go A to Z, contingencies in place. You know, I'm all for luck whenever I can get it. But adding luck into my plan, you know, I, I really silly. think it's a bit silly. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, agree, I, I I agree with you. I don't, well, with any luck, this will work out. What, 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 what does, does that, that mean? mean? <laughs> exactly. I, you know, I don't, I, I want luck to be that, you know, the, 
not even the icing, right? I want it to be the candle or, or the, the pretty rose on the top. I don't even want it to be the icing on my cake. I, I want to control my own destiny whenever I can. Right. Luck is just absolutely fabulous when it happens. Right. And luck comes in all forms. You know, when right. people go, well, it'll work out somehow. That's just another way of saying, God, I hope I'm lucky that this will. <laughs> right. So, no, I get that. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't understand the... The aspect of just saying, you know, hopefully luck will be on my side. Well, well, I think most of those people are ones not willing to do the work to make sure it does work out. And again, you know, I'll take luck when I can get it, but I, I really want to control my own destiny. I don't. Well, and I think that that has a larger part to do with your EQ. You, you don't yeah. depend on luck, right? I mean, right. I, I think that, yeah, that would be an interesting study. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, and then I, when I you have a higher any... IQ with an EQ, you probably don't. There's no perception of luck. Everything is designed. So right, and I think you're going to find extremes too. Again, what we talked about the you know some of the smartest people can't find their car in a parking lot. Right. You know, again, when you get into that extremes, either way, is when we really start to have problems. So just start developing a higher EQ by controlling your emotions. That can also, like I say, lead to a higher IQ, I would think, because then you're gonna start doing a little bit more research. Or right, something. start developing other areas that are not your skill set. You're well, never gonna master them. You're, you know, I am never, I can spend the rest of my life playing the piano, right? I am never gonna be a grand pianist. Because you don't, I don't have, have a passion a, for well, it. Exactly, well that's one, I don't have a passion for it, but two, I don't, uh, I don't have a skill set for it. And for the, a, I don't have an ear for it. I don't, right. I don't have an eye to go out and take amazing pictures. I may snap one here and there, but I don't, I don't, that's not a skill set for me. And if you're an artist, then let your IQ of being an artist flow. Exactly. Don't stifle it by listening to people going, well, you know, you weren't good at math. Well, okay. But right. are you not really good at math? Because the way you draw those lines, the way you can get that intricate detail in that portrait, you know, the things that you can do when you look at a photograph and can get the angle just right, that's all math. That's exactly right. So Yeah, we just don't define it as such. No, we do not. Right. Yep. Well, Christy, do you have any final thoughts for us today? Well, you know, this topic today is a hot box for me, right? Spending so many years in higher education and spending countless hours arguing this point you know, that we're leaving so many kids and adults behind and leaving them with a feeling of not being good enough. It was a huge battle for me. It continues to be a battle for me throughout my career. And some of the smartest people I've known, you know, didn't even have a high school diploma. You know, again, Carol King. I, I just spent a fortune on Carol King tickets for Broadway, <laughs> so she's on my mind. But I think Carol King is one of the most brilliant people that has ever walked the planet. You know, we really have to stop dividing people and work on helping people, especially children, to use their God-given strengths to their fullest and to stop trying to cookie-cut everyone into being just like ourselves. Difference is good. It's normal. You know, it takes a village of people with different skill sets to survive, right? right? The world would be really boring if they were numbers, critical thinking people like us, right? Um, well, the numbers and critical people wouldn't have no place to go to see the art. So exactly, exactly. Right. There you go. You know, but we have to start embracing our differences as good, uh, especially in the world that we're living in today. Right. I think most of us appreciate good music or art. Those creative people, they bring color to our world. You know, we have to start embracing them as just as smart in their skill as someone that can, say, recite the Constitution especially for our kids to grow up and not feel inferior, less than, or stupid just because they can't make straight A's in math or physics. You know, academics, it worked for me, and I have spent a good deal of my life teaching people. And so many people think they're not smart because they don't know what, what they're learning. 
Mm. Well, none of us knew what we didn't know until we learned it, right? True. Don't let anyone make you feel that you're not good enough because you're not as good at something as, say, they are. Find your strengths and maximize it. Again, one of the things that I talk about all the time is if you spend all of your time trying to make your weakness into your strength, you will never be more than mediocre. Your God-given strengths are what you need to maximize. Find a way to manage your weaknesses and maximize your strengths. You know, it can be books, art, music, athletics. God gave you your strengths for a reason. Find them and use them to make your world a better place. You know, that's the whole point, I think, of this mess of life is that. Be the difference by your strengths. So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platforms like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.